Hello and welcome in the Schland, a podcast about everyone's favorite, most reluctant superpower, Germany. I'm William Noah Glucroft, coming to you from the shining Hauptstadt on a plane, Berlin. These episodes are based on my substack of the same name. Check it out at schland.substack.com. Or don't go anywhere at all and do what everyone else does these days. Read with your ears while doing a dozen other things. Your choice. Either way, it's free. This episode's Thoughtful Kvetch was first published on January 13th, 2023, under the title Übermensch über alles, Part 1. Looking at how the centrists in Germany do the job of the far right quite well on their own. On the list of countries and nations that shouldn't exist, for those keeping score at home, that's all of them, Germany is pretty up there. By shouldn't, I don't mean in moral political terms, but historically. Nothing is inevitable. Narnia has just as much a right to, chance of, and perspective for statehood as, say, Canada. Inversely, Canada has little more reason to exist than Narnia. Germany, however, is a real lucky enta in this regard. How lucky? That Germany lost a war, and a really big one, and still exists as a place with a name on the map should be a historical fallacy. That it isn't is thanks to the ahistorical nature of the Second World War and its outcomes, which sets us up for the correspondingly ahistorical period that we, at least in the Western context, have lived through since. Wars on the scale of the one Nazi Germany, with the help of Stalinist Soviet Union, instigated and failed to win, tend to take the extra violent step of annihilation, denying the enemy's autonomy, obliterating its borders, stealing its wealth, and colonizing its territory. Germany had a good run doing exactly that, especially in places farther east, such as Ukraine. But when the exhausted country capitulated shortly after Hitler said tschüss, the reverse didn't happen, at least not in the classical sense with the usual trappings of conquest. With the United States already focused on its communist foe before it was finished up defeating its fascist one, almost overnight villainous Nazis converted to freedom-loving liberal globalists as their new American ally enlisted West Germany in the fight against an even more evil empire. When that collapsed, with little thanks to the billions of dollars and thousands of lives thrown at confronting it around the world, it was only due to some quick-thinking Allied and specifically American diplomacy in 1989 to 1990 that opened the door to German reunification, which was hardly a foregone conclusion. The failure to appreciate the fluke of Germany's existence is institutional. Having companies and systems that have soldiered on despite it all, further aid the illusion that Germany always was and must be. The arrogance of longevity lives side by side with the humility of a dark past. It hardly feels like coincidence that Germany is now under a three-party coalition consisting of two liberal parties that strive to appear as liberals wish to be seen, inclusive, compassionate, just. Germany is the strong partner you know in, in Europe uh, of the United States. And another liberal party that presents as liberals have actually become. 
individualistic, leaning, narcissistic. No, we, we mustn't fear uh, Tesla. By the lethargic standards of technocratic German politics, at least this governing coalition has some ideas to rattle a status quo long in need of a shakeup, especially following nearly 16 years of conservative rule dressed up as inclusive Merkelian politics that did very little, and then only reluctantly. A belated and ass-backwards vote on same-sex marriage comes to mind as just one example of nearly two decades of foot-dragging towards any definition of progress. One bright idea the traffic light government has is an overdue overhaul of migration and naturalization policies to entice more people to come to Germany and make it easier for them to stay. Given Germany's desperate need for warm bodies, especially skilled ones, you'd think the idea would be widely well-received. And given Germany's hellish history, harking back to a period when who stayed and who fled, who lived and who died, was based on nonsense notions of blood and purity, you'd further think that German law today would be the most lax in the world on that point. Yet German citizenship remains largely rooted in blood. Getting it is appallingly arbitrary and profoundly difficult, and in almost all cases you are forced to surrender your other nationalities. Because however much Germans love their humming economy, they are really serious about their notions of Volk, and are loath to sacrifice the latter for the former. This has been the case almost since Germany was forcibly converted from Nazism to liberalism, a point in time when the bombed-out and defeated country needed huge numbers of foreign workers to rebuild its cities and restart its economy. Whereas in some countries it may come off sounding like a political slogan, in Germany you can literally say that immigrants built the country as we know it today. For export-rich Germany, its Wirtschaftswunder is an import. In return, Germany did little to help these foreigners stay and hoped they wouldn't. To this day, the Turks and other Southern and Eastern Europeans who came to Germany, worked and then settled here, remain woefully unseen and underrepresented. Poles are one of the largest national ethnic groups in Germany, and Berlin is so far east that you could describe it as a mid-sized city in western Poland, yet you wouldn't know it walking around here. Germany will sooner import and embrace American ideas of race and racism. Today we are here at the Black Lives Matter protest fighting against racism in Berlin, Germany. While the black-white divide is a component of German socioeconomic inequity, it pales in comparison to other majority-minority dynamics. Millions of people of Turkish descent have lived in Germany for decades, yet it took until the current government for Germany to have its first cabinet minister of Turkish heritage. If you're looking for a blunt, albeit unscientific, visual of this uniquely German phenomenon, take a German train to Strasbourg, then change to a French one. France has its own list of racial grievances to work through, no doubt, but at least not everyone on board will look alike. Look, it's ZZ Top. You guys rock. Eh, maybe a little. For its size and global economic interconnectedness and dependency, Germany's homogeneity is startling. If urban areas tend to be the most diverse, consider the ramifications of a country of more than 83 million people whose largest city and capital is home to fewer than 4 million of them. Even those foreigners who do manage to cross the threshold of naturalization, it's an open question what exactly is waiting for them on the other side. They may be German enough to belong to the liberal state, Staatsangehörigkeit, but that says very little about the privilege of belonging to the exclusionary nation, Volkszugehörigkeit. 
Germany's thinking today in regards to who is and is not a member of the German nation, and who can and cannot become a part of it, remains strikingly similar to the thinking of a bygone Germany. Institutional humility is reserved for Auschwitz and applies little to contemporary questions of representation, inclusion, and pluralism. That leaves one to wonder what the point is of an outdated national cult of do-gooderism, except this public spectacle meant to reassure allies from without and demons from within that you really can teach an old Schäferhund new tricks. Unfortunately, the old habits of old dogs die hard. While the German government's legislative majority was able to push some of its migration reforms through the Bundestag at the end of last year, it was not without a bizarre food fight of red herring stuffed with culture war fear-mongering, moral panic, and a misguided overestimation of German greatness. The holy grail of immigration, dual citizenship, which some Germans quaintly believe is denied due to the other country's laws, not their own restrictive and regressive ones, remains just a promissory note in the government's quasi-binding but largely aspirational coalition agreement. You do not need to travel too far to the right to reach the voice of the Übermensch crying out in opposition to a relaxation of residency and naturalization policies, regardless how necessary they are, both as a matter of concrete economics and updated ethics. The Christian Democrats, finally acting like conservatives again under the leadership of Friedrich Merz, has had some real zingers, including an almost surely intentional confusion of regular immigration that leads to citizenship and the kinds of migration, namely asylum, that can lead to deportation. Merz and his conservative colleagues have long been on about unfounded fears of welfare tourism and warning of the foreign hordes coming for Germany's generous system of benefits, regardless that it's exactly those hordes the country needs to keep its blessed system going. Never mind the studies that show that welfare is less a pull factor than our good jobs for regular immigrants and safety for asylum seekers. If the CDU is so concerned about the country's welfare, it may want to invest some of its political capital into ensuring that it works. Who wants to come to a country where millions of people already here leave billions of euros on the table every year out of shame or the headache caused by the paperwork required to receive what they're entitled to? Meanwhile, German hospitals face staff shortages, doctors' practices in many places are stretched so thin that they've stopped accepting new patients, appointments for important medical care can take weeks or months to get, preschools can't keep up with demand despite how old Germany is getting, and families' legal right to a spot at one, public health insurance still mostly covers bogus homeopathy, but not contraception, and then there's the housing crisis, particularly acute in Berlin, but a problem everywhere that has exploded the homeless population. I think you've made your point, dear. If anyone is looking for where they left their dog whistles, best check with Matz's flock. Talk of naturalization reform has brought out fears of devaluing German nationhood. I'm not exactly sure what that means, and am struggling to imagine Germany having made it in one form or another through two world wars, revolution, the Great Depression, and divided plaything of two nuclear powers, only to break under the weight of foreigners becoming citizens after three years instead of five to eight. The CDU is in the opposition, so you could say it's just doing the job opposing the government's proposals. Then there's the so-called liberal FDP, which is the smallest but often loudest party in the government's three-way. No, we, we mustn't fear uh, Tesla. Historically and ideologically, it's at home in bed with the CDU. But after party leader Christian Lindner concluded in 2017, Es ist besser nicht zu regieren als 
falsch zu regieren. That a coalition with conservatives at the federal level was worse than not governing at all, he found a neue Fantasie, neue new political Fantasie. imagination in 2021 with the left-leaning Social Democrats and Greens. The FDP literally has freedom in its name and seeks to break down any regulatory barrier standing in the way of economic efficiency, market prowess, and wealth accumulation. This is also the party with a long-running love affair with Germany's political center, and their campaigns make sure you know that. Yet the FDP fell in largely with the CDU on this one, despite the free market sense of liberalizing migration policy, but at least they tried to present their opposition with a bit more nuance. It's not that they're against immigrants per se, you see, just that they want to make sure that the wrong ones get kicked out before the right ones get let in. The Free Democrats' opposition to its governing allies' bills is a reminder that, in Germany, when it comes to das Volk, freedom for one group is about freedom from other groups, and it always has been. That these are the positions of centrist and mainstream parties. The CDU has been in charge of Germany the most since the war, and the FDP went toe-to-toe with the Greens in the 2021 election in attracting the under-30 vote, should offer a decent reflection of where the German electorate stands. Who needs the far right when so-called centrists are doing their job quite well without them? The AFD sticks a tricky thorn into the side of public-facing Germany. The AFD's persistence as the strongest far-right voice since the Nazis has forced Germany to give up on the fantasy of post-national politics and acknowledge that overcoming its history takes more than laying a wreath on January 27th every year. Vergangenheitsbewältigung, dealing with its past, is not over. It has hardly begun. When then-AFD leader Alexander Gauland called the Nazi period nur ein Vogelschiss in über tausend Jahre erfolgreicher deutscher just a bird shit on a thousand years of successful German history, the country lost its mind. As the far right wants to downplay that 12-year period, so too does the rest of the country want to downplay the thousand years leading to it. It's much easier to treat the Nazis as an exceptional, if not external, phenomenon in which ordinary Germans played no part. There is a healthy thousand-year view, but how the likes of Gauland and Merz see it aren't that respectively minimizing and absolving oneself of the Third Reich. The AFD has been a useful security blanket to this end, covering the latent racism and xenophobia that's always existed around the center of German politics. The moral outrage directed at outrages coming further from the right is a convenient foil. With the AFD, German politics enjoy a defined space to isolate the nation's parochialism, just as German history enjoys the Nazi period as a defined place to isolate the nation's criminal hubris. The rest of us can sleep easy at night knowing those guys are the real baddies, not us. Modern migration policy pokes deeply at a folk that has always needed clear dividing lines to compensate for a streak of national insecurity. In history, there are no accidents. That Nazis became liberals wasn't inevitable, and neither is liberals becoming Nazis in a history that just hasn't happened yet. For all their rhetorical commitments to remembering their past, German centrists, which given the consensus nature of German politics is pretty much everyone, seem to have forgotten a key part of it. You can go to sleep a centrist, wake up next to a Nazi, and find yourself in a fascist home you helped build.
That's all for this episode of the Schland Podcast. Remember, you can get more episodes and even dust off those literacy skills of your own at schland.substack.com. You've heard my kvetch. Now I want to hear yours. Don't hesitate to be in touch and let me know what you think about this or any other essay or anything else going on in Germany that confuses, frustrates, or tickles you. From the Schland, this is the Schland. I'm William Noah Glucroft. Tschüss und bis zum nächsten Mal.